I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Can I just ask? Shut up, Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut up, Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut up. Is it okay if I just ask? Shut up, Evan. Okay, but can I just. Shut up, Evan. I didn't even say anything. Hi, everyone. It's Evan Ross Katz. We are doing something a little different. I have a favorite movie, as I'm sure many of you have. It's the 1998 Christopher Columbus classic, Stepmom. And so I gathered some friends here today to talk about the film. Um, so first up, we have my dear friend, Vogue Global Fashion Editor at Large. Do I have that right? That's right. You got it. It's like right. one of those like fancy titles. It's super fake. Do you know like those titles that have like a billion words in it? And it's like mm-hmm. I really just like fancy about with clothes. Yeah. That's what I that's what it means. I mean, I, I live for that. Uh, Gabriella Karifa Johnson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, a, because you're a good friend of mine, and B, because so many of our voice memos back and forth through the years are over our shared love of this film. Like, it's very appropriate that we are here today talking about this film. Absolutely. I don't know if there's a topic that either of us are more well-versed to discuss. Absolutely. And honestly, sometimes it gets contentious. It's true. But also, it's, like, really just an obsession, an Isabel obsession, I would say. Totally. Also here today, we have one of the stars of the film, an old friend of mine we actually met during our days at New York University. I used to be his weed dealer. That's how we first met. Um, Liam Aiken. Liam, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Evan. Before we get into the film and I I intro the film, today is election day. We're recording this on election day. And one thing that I was thinking about on my way over here, I was thinking about the characters of Isabel and Jackie and wondering where they would be voting. And so I'm just wondering, do you feel Mm. like are these red girls or are they blue girls? I mean, I don't know. I, I hate to say this, but I feel like Isabel doesn't vote. She's a very busy fashion photographer. I think Jackie is going Kathy. I was going to say, I feel like Jackie. I don't know if Jackie has any like ideas about the propositions on, on the ballot, but I think that she knows who she wants for governor. I have a hard time separating Jackie from Susan because Susan is... She's not voting red. No. Not even sure she's voting blue. T. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's set up this film a little bit. 
So Stepmom was released on December 25th, 1998. It is the eighth feature film from director Christopher Columbus, whose early works include Adventures in Babysitting, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Home Alone 1 and 2. The screenplay was written by Gigi Levangi, Jesse Nelson, Stephen Rogers, Karen Lee Hopkins, and Ronald Bass. If you're thinking that it's odd to have five writers on a film, you would not be alone. The film, which clocks in at 125 minutes, follows a terminally ill woman dealing with her ex-husband's new lover, who will be the children's stepmother. It stars Julia Roberts in the titular role, a year after my best friend's wedding and a year before Notting Hill. Susan Sarandon plays the terminally ill ex-wife and mother, three years out from her Academy Award-winning role in Dead Man Walking. And Ed Harris is the fulcrum, fresh off his Golden Globe win for The Truman Show. The film also stars Jenna Malone, a year after her turn as young Ellie in Contact, and Liam Aiken, who joins us today, who had appeared opposite Jennifer Aniston and Paul Rudd earlier in the same year in The Object of My Affection. The movie received very middling reviews. The New York Times wrote, both Ms. Roberts and especially Ms. Sarandon, who has the much more believable role, go through their motions with unexpected conviction and make a film a lot more watchable than it has any right to be. <gasps> Roger Ebert, meanwhile, wrote, To be sure, Stepmom has a certain tact. It wants us to cry, but it doesn't hold a gun on us like Patch Adams, and enforces its emotions with sentimental terrorism. Roberts and Sarandon are immensely likable people, and Harris here seems caring and reasonable in a thankless role. We would have enjoyed spending time with them if they'd been able to pull themselves away from the plot. I feel like we need to dive in on Harris seeming reasonable and like, this is like so showing the year in which this movie was released. Like, how is he a hero? Maybe I'm being hyperbolic. I just, I don't have notes when it comes to this movie. This movie for me is a movie I would show to people, writers, directors, actors, etc., to be like, do this. <laughs> you know? <Canon>. Costume <laughs> departments, set design, costumes, mm. like replicate this. So it's just odd to me that reviewers were tasked with like reviewing the film because for me, I would just, I, my review would be perfect film, no notes, uh, annual rewatches necessary. Exactly. Despite this, the film went on to do very well. Stepmom opened at number two at the box office, making $19.1 in its opening weekend. It stayed at the second spot for another week, eventually grossing $91 million in the U.S. and $159 million worldwide from a budget of $50 million. 50? 50. Jesus, okay. I know. It's funny because I just finished watching Barbarian last night, which has a 4.5 million budget, just for comparison. However, 50 million today is like what? A Marvel movie, I think, runs at like a $200 million budget. However, I will say this feels like a $50 million movie, which we'll get into. Correct. Like... We are skirting nothing around the budget. Those were real horses. Absolutely. Susan Sarandon was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress and won the San Diego Film Critics Society Award for Best Actress, while Ed Harris won the National Board of Review Award for Best Supporting Actor for his roles in Stepmom and The Truman Show. Gabriella, to start, what is it for you about Stepmom that gives it such an enduring appeal? The performances speak for themselves. I don't know what these critics were talking about, but there is this, like, real family texture to this film that makes me feel like I have people around me when I'm in my apartment in New York alone. So it's like, it will endure until I have a family of my own. Let's just <laughs> start there. And then also, I think the fashion for me is exquisite. We are in a moment right now where 90s nostalgia is peak in terms of trend and style, but it's always kind of been there rumbling beneath the surface in terms of my stylistic choices and my 
uh, job as a stylist and fashion editor. So I always come back to films that have that good, good, authentic 90s moment. And Isabel, for me, is actually a fashion icon. So it's like a source of inspiration, a source of reference, just comforting. It's very much the world that I want to be living in. So when you say that 90s fashion is so integral to to your not identity, yeah. but, but your style identity. Mm -hmm. um, what is it about 90s fashion? Was 90s fashion referencing thing? I'm sure it was, but was it was it its own thing also unto itself? It was its own thing. The thing about 90s fashion that I think is the most interesting is that it its perception to non-fashion historians revolves all around like grunge, which was actually a hyper-specific moment. Hmm. When really, I think that 90s fashion was this regression away from the hyper-maximalism of the 80s mm. into like mm. a real appreciation of minimalism. Mm. So it's like you see Isabelle in the all black and in the skirt and in the flat or in a uh, straight leg pant and there's mm -hmm. a jacket over it. It was all about like wardrobing rather than fashion. Absolutely, mm. and you would never get a character that dresses like Isabel today, no, unless it was being throwbacky. Totally, mm. and she would need she would need some sort of like identity or like style. But really, what it is is it's like taste. Mm. It's just like she has this taste, mm. and she's giving it full bodied. It's the jackets, it's the sunglasses, it's the hats, and then even Jackie. I when I was rewatching it today, the sweaters mm. crossed over, the button downs. I was like, there's there's full aesthetic throughout mm. this film. Now, Liam, this film, obviously, I believe you were eight years old. That's right. I turned eight. The day that I turned eight, I was playing the pinball machine. Okay, come on, come on, come on. The pinball machine is when we're given the snow-blowing line. I'm not going to waste my time with some loser who doesn't even know what snow-blowing is. Which, by the way, not to segue too quickly, but snow-blowing. What is it? Never found out. It's not on Urban Dictionary. I don't know. It's a very uh, dirty reference. So mm. my oh, understanding, yeah, I know what snowblowing is, but I don't <laughs> think it's like a term that's used. It's when, well, this is the part I'm not clear on from a heterosexual perspective. So my understanding of snowblowing is that I think, in the context of stepmom, it would be that a man ejaculates into a woman's mouth, and then a woman comes up, and the two of them exchange the semen between their mouths. Yeah. But I don't understand how we're deriving the term snow blowing from that. I could see it as like a, you blow the semen onto something and like a spraying gesture, but the exchange gets complicated for yeah. me. And I also feel um, really mortified that I definitely tried to use that phrase in the year 1998 and following to make people think that I was cool. Right. Because like that is grotesque for an eight-year-old to be talking about. When that was in the screenplay, I imagine people were reading that, the actors, and saying like, well, we need to know what this is for context. I just would love to be at the meeting when Susan Sarandon and Ed Harris were sort of, uh, you know, asking Christopher Columbus uh, to break down snowblowing. There was well, no urban dictionary. No. So what was eight-year-old Liam's understanding of that scene? There are so many things watching this movie um, again today that I just did not absorb. Mm. Like the whole conversation about the sex in the shower. Yeah. That went over my head, I think, for a while. I always thought the line that Susan said was really um, did you Did you have any questions about why daddy was washing Isabel today? Yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, honey, um, uh, 
when Daddy was washing Isabel um, in the shower, what, what did you think that was about? Yeah, so there were so many things. Like, even the pot smoking, like, that moment has so much weight now. And, you know, watching it, I just thought she was smoking a cigarette. And I'm sure I asked my, my mom at the time as well, like, what, you know, what is she smoking? And she would have said, oh, it's really bad. She's smoking a cigarette. I'd be like, oh, but she's sick. Because, you know, I knew uh, my father passed away when I was two years old. Um, he had cancer. And um, so I knew the seriousness of the illness. So I would be like, oh, I'd be like horrified, you know, but she's smoking when she's that sick. But then years later, I did find an ashtray in our house that was like tucked in the back corner of some we were we were moving and there was there was this massive joint in the ashtray and I asked my mom about it and she was like yeah that would have been like she wanted to she wanted to flush it oh i didn't let her keep it every year another hit <laughs> just one more hit every year yeah well it's extra interesting too that you know you're 8 years old and one of the questions i was going to ask you later is like what did your eight-year-old brain know of cancer or, you know, a family member dying? And it seems like you were able to draw from real-life experience, even at that young age. I'm not an actor, but I imagine pulling from one's own experience is a great tool, but it also can be really manipulative on oneself. I'm so glad you said that, because it's really tricky. So how did you, especially your eight-year-old brain, navigate wanting to utilize your lived experience without traumatizing yourself, but how is an eight-year-old in control of re-traumatization? Well, I had no concept of substitution at the time. So I wasn't like saying, oh, I can't do that because that's unhealthy for me. So much of it was just circumstance. It was just, you're here, you're doing this, that guy's your dad, run over there. It's, it was, you know, so, but then obviously that levels up when you're doing films that have narratives. And then this film that was so close to my real life it leveled up to you know an even further extent where where it was it was a situation that um, I had grappled with you know I mean when I was very when I was four years old I was going to child um, therapists and psychologists sort of just make sure I was okay and you know my mom wanted to to make sure that I was developing all right and um, yeah so so it was something that she was very aware of and actually she um, passed on this film about a dozen times. She said no over and over and over again. And Chris kept coming back and saying, look, you know, it's, he's, he's the kid. He's, he's the kid and, You're ben. and anything we can do. And, and he told her, you know, this isn't a movie about cancer. This is a movie about like family and connection. And, you know, watching this today, I, I, he really stuck to his word. The cancer plot is not brought into the film until 40 minutes in. One thing like adult me is so transfixed by about this film is the relationship between Jackie and Luke. Mm -hmm. Jackie and Luke. Luke, such a hot name. Such a hot dad. Ugh. It's so interesting because he, she still loves him, but she's not hung up on him because she has that moment at the end and she's like, why couldn't, why couldn't it have worked between us? Just tell me why you think this marriage it's gonna work and ours didn't. She's not asking it in a way that's like, because I'm still in love with you. That's not my read on it. It was sort of like, I, I would have been willing to do more work to try and get us to a better place. There was just this complexity around their dynamic that I was really struck by my 33-year-old brain rewatch that like went over my head before. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's talk through some individual scenes. I want to get your thoughts on the opening because I think one of the strongest aspects of this movie is how detail-oriented it is, right? So it's not the fact that, like, Isabel's just a photographer. That she is a photographer will come up myriad times throughout this film. That's one thing about this film, these motifs. Ben is a magician, for instance. Ain't no mountain high enough. It's like Ugh. everything is inserted throughout the film and everything has big payoffs. So we have this opening scene. Isabel's on set for a Valentino photo shoot. I mean. I can't imagine in 2022 you would get, that would have to involve like a lot of phone calls. Yeah, I actually, I was thinking about this and I don't really know the intricacies of production at that time, but I'm wondering if like product placement and licensing was as complicated making this film at that time as it would be today. But the idea of just having the Valentino logo on like a computer screen when she's like fake Photoshopping that whole thing has a crazy price tag attached to it and also has to do with like approvals from the family, from the majority stakeholders. It's a big deal. And I also was looking back at the actual clothes that the models are wearing and I was like, I wonder if these are red dresses or if they're actually Valentino. Right. Because it feels to me that if I were writing a script and not a fashion person and I wanted there to be the most extravagant fashion name at the time, Valentino would be in the top three. But it would also be very difficult to access, source, I get like 15 dresses. Right. Um, that's like not easy for, you know, even the most elite costume designer. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's like it's either a crazy oversimplification or like that's how much clout this film had at the time. Exactly. And I like that we won't know. It's a mystery forever. So we're at this photo shoot and Isabel is like, we're led to believe she's some sort of creative genius in the field. Mm. <laughs> and so she comes up with this idea last minute to grab the cater waiter um, and put him in into the shoot with all of these, you know, sky high models towering over him. Isabel's inspired, grab the camera right away. We need to like, I can make magic happen. Yeah. You know, she's an auteur. Or I don't know, what's the auteur version of a camera person? Like, uh, I don't know. She's a visionary and like, she's getting the, that's so Raven thing is happening in her head. And she's like, I gotta, you know, get me, get me the camera quick. She's seeing the whiteboard with she's, all the yes, numbers. Exactly, it's all, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. It's all yeah. moving, gets the shot. Gabrielle, you've been on mm -hmm. myriad sets like this. Mm -hmm. Do do moments of inspiration happen quite in this way? I mean, I think there are definitely moments of like puzzle pieces coming together that you didn't know were actually there. And those moments of inspiration are really, really real. What was crazy to me in this instance is like the artistic license and creative license of imagining like editing software that would be able to do, that she would be able to manipulate yep. on, on a 1994 computer yep. to- She looks up stock photos yeah. of men's suits <laughs> suit for suit. a Valentino campaign. That happened Valentino. to be the exact size. All the, all the arms on the are pointing down yeah, in exactly. the stock photos. And then it, she photoshops it onto a man whose arms are up holding up. trays. Holding trays, exactly. Of food, right? Or does he does she change his hands too? I she removes the food she from his hands. <laughs> so then it's like, he's just like, <laughs> he's kind of like, these are my models. Yeah, these are yeah. these are the girls. And it's funny. First of all, I'm like, I'm pretty sure Emporio himself, the emperor of fashion, does not want to be portrayed as this cater waiter. Mm -hmm. So that was a whole another mm -hmm. thing. I'm like, who is this random man in this? I get that it's funny. And I do think that fashion for a very long time really relied on humor to like yes. connect to people in terms of fashion advertisement. So... Yeah. 
I actually was like, this could probably work in a magazine. Like I right. can see how it happens, but it just could never happen that way. And then another thing that I thought was really funny about it was her boss is like the head of her advertising agency. Whereas like on a Valentino ad campaign, your boss owns Valentino. Right. So it's like, who cares what your like random art director thinks? Right. Like <laughs> it's really about the person paying the checks. And I don't think they would let you shoot their whole campaign, their $5 million campaign in 15 minutes. No, Regardless very... if you got the shot or not, you just have to go through the motions. I feel like the 2022 mm. version of this would be there wouldn't be the need to put the suit on him. I think it would lean into the aspect that he totally. was the cater waiter. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there, would, there wouldn't be that need to sort of subvert it anyway. The 2022 element is like, we're peeling back the curtain entirely. Yeah. And with the food, too. I was like, oh, this it is all... It would be funnier. It would be funny. Yeah. It's true. Why are you shooting this? Because I'm brilliant. And I see something you don't. So stand back and trust me, why don't you? Oh, I trust you. I just don't understand why you're shooting the craft service guy when I've got five male models and very expensive suits sitting over here. Thank you, ladies. That's lovely. It's a wrap, everybody. No, no, no. It's not a wrap. It's a wrap. She's kidding. So then we get to the house, right? Okay, let's pause, actually. Where the fuck is this house? First it's not of all. a real house. It can't be real. We're... Because I know that the Nyack house was... Part was they used the exterior and the entryway, but then the rest was a recreation right. of the actual interior. But for this loft, were you shooting? Where were you shooting that? That was also on a stage. That entirely. Yes. Okay. Which, like, watching it today, I was like, I have not seen sets like this. It's just, they're just amazing. Incredible. Mm, like insane. it looks like they're like there's just the details of the the banisters. You know, with those steel and the cables in between, and they're like mm. real. Everything was so real. I was so invested, and and every corner is set designed. Every mm -hmm. corner is decorated. Mm -hmm. Every there's there's a tchotchke, there's a, a memento, there's just chairs beautifully placed everywhere you look on these sets. Which is why I think <clears throat> it also feels like such a fashion film to me, because aesthetic rules everything and it's so expensive and so high touch mm -hmm. and the world that they build is kind of like the world that these designers build when they're making these crazy sets to, to communicate what the ideal lifestyle is like they were living it right you get the sense that there's aspects of this apartment that we haven't seen that i want to believe we're like fully built out just because mm -hmm. like the bathroom yeah. was fully designed even if we don't see it just because you know it needs to be used at some point. Like he has um, a James Terrell on the on a wall that we never see. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this scene, Isabel is she's Isabelling. She's spiraling. She's just trying to create order within chaos. I'm not kidding around anymore, Ben. You make yourself appear right this instant. Can't find Ben. Another motif in the mm. film. Where's yes. Ben? Where's Ben? Finally, Ben pops out of the cupboard. <laughs> Shit. I mean, it's like the wind blows. It's just, it's quite a film entrance. Jackie finally comes and she brings the calm. Mm, ben, you look like you're having such a good time. But we're running a little late. Ben, sweetie, I thought you were supposed to be wearing purple today. She forgot to wash it. Oh, hey. <laughs> what a hug. <laughs> I'll handle it from here, Isabel. Can you talk about filming that scene? Yeah, oh, that was so much fun. Literally wrestling with Julia Roberts, uh, trying to take my pajamas off. Like, just, it was the funniest. 
There were so many takes, I think, where we just cracked up. We've got to get you dressed. We're running so late. This is not a game. You know, because I, I was just writhing around on the floor and, and also being up in the cupboard. You know, I remember they were setting up the shot and I had a double. And so they had second team up in this cupboard, putting this boy in and out of the cupboard and saying, oh, let's change this. Okay, we'll take him out. And he was supposed to come to set the next day and he didn't because he had to go to the hospital because his mother didn't tell production that he was a hemophiliac. And they were putting this boy in and out of a little cupboard and he was getting bruises. Aww. He was fine. But um, that happened during <laughs> during that scene. Um, and also, yeah, then then like the actual... I almost don't even remember it that clearly, like the act, the actual. I mean, I do remember it, but it was just like, yeah, pure energy. That mm -hmm. is eight, eight. Mm -hmm. Yes, and Anna is twelve, and we don't get a lot of depictions of twelve-year-old women or girls, rather, in film. And she is such a twelve-year-old. She mm -hmm. is so on the cusp of understanding her womanhood, and at that age where. She's not yet aware, but the curiosities are beginning in her. And then there's also that thing, and I think this happens to all genders, where you're not quite as along in your uh, journey to adulthood as those around you. And then that, that thing that builds in her in starting to see the fact that Isabel could be an ally for her in her growth process and that Jackie might might actually stifle her growth. Mm. But it's it's in these this early part of the film when when Anna's particularly resentful of Isabel when I just think that that like 12-year-old angst, I'm just like I don't see characters like that. I just don't think you get 12-year-olds often anymore. No. In the stepmom sequel that I dream up, I feel like Anna <laughs> is is where we're centering the film. But mm -hmm. she also I I oh there's so many lines I think we all come back to at this film, but one of them is at the ice rink when you and Anna, I'm gonna say you, but you, know, <laughs> yeah. when you and Anna are playing. Yeah. Um, and and Jackie is telling Isabel about what they were like as kids and she talks about Anna's birth and how it took <laughs> so long and, and she said because she had to come hours. at her own time. How many yeah. hours? 28, I think. 28 hours. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Because she had to come at her own time. Yes. And her. 28 hours. <laughs> Doctors wanted to go in and get her, but I knew she'd come at her own time. That's just the way she is. Can't let anybody rush her. And there are so many lines throughout this film. Um, do you want me to hate her? Mm -hmm. um, do you want me to hate her? Do you want me to hate her? Mommy. What, sweetie? If you want me to hate her, I will. And can we talk about what the camera does in that moment briefly? So you're on the horses. Do you remember how that was shot? Mm -hmm. Was were the cameras? How how were, what was the movement like with that? We were out in a field, and there were dollies, and there were three of us riding. But in this in the two shot with me and Susan, it was just me and Susan, because the horse. Um, I had had riding lessons for the film. Uh, they didn't go well. Um, <laughs> I ended up having to take lessons on a one-eyed pony named Peanut. Um, who would walk into fences and trees because he had a blind side. So we were walking to set with my mom, and there was my stunt double um, dressed identically uh, on this horse that they wanted, they were going to have me ride. The horse bucks this identically dressed person off, you know, off its back, and the 
This, this is your body double? This is my double? Like, this kid, like, no, 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 this kid went through it. It's not, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this was a stunt double. I did have a stunt double on this because there was a scene that was cut out of the film where I was stuck up a tree. That didn't make it into the movie, right? Okay. No, wait. <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> Gonna need details on the cutscene. Please. Please. There was a scene where I, I think it was just, there's a scene where you see me swinging on this tire swing. I think it was supposed to be just after that where I end up climbing up the tree that's outside our house. And I was like up this 40 foot tree on this little, like they had secured this little cable and I harness and I was hooked into it. And I was just up there screaming for help. Um, ben and his climbing, yeah, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now was the scene where he later falls at the playground, was this in, did that replace that scene? Does he fall out of the tree? Mm -mm. No, so there, he's was, just there was causing a, chaos. That's right. Oh. He, there was a, um, a fire truck. They actually had a fire truck come to set. And yeah, they did. They put this the ladder all the way up the, to the tree, and I had to do this scene where I, I had to get into this like the firefighter's arms, and he kind of carries me down the. And it was terrifying because oh I had to unhook my harness from the tree to get down. With I was so scared, and that could very well be the reason why it didn't make it into the movie. <laughs> and was, was was Susan there? Like, in, the, in that scene, I imagine Jackie yes. would have just been... waiting, yeah. Mm-hmm, waiting. Because if there's anything terrifying. that Jackie cares about in this life, it's mm -hmm. those kids. Totally. Jackie will do whatever it takes for those kids. Yeah. Are there, just while we're on the subject of cutscenes, mm -hmm. um, are there any others that you remember? Not that jump to mind. Okay, I mean, as we sit here, if one comes yeah. to mind. <laughs> I will bring it up. But I wanted to mention the scene with, uh, if you want me to hate her, I will. You say the line to her, and then Susan Sarandon's horse stops, mm -hmm. and the camera continues to go because it's supposed to be tracking yeah. it. But because it stops, the camera has to jut back mm -hmm. to her, yeah. who has this moment, and my God, is Susan Sarandon a fucking incredible actress. Icon. Where, because it's all in the face, but it's 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 like a profound so mother's guilt. Of yes. Like how? Yes. Could I like this sweet boy? And he, you know, it's like how I could I how her. could I plant that seed? Yes. I, it's like I read it as the power. Mm. I read it as her registering her own power yeah, oh, that's and going, oh God, I could corrupt this child and just make you know their relationship hell, but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> And I think it's her realizing to the smart boy that she's raised mm, and yeah. how I think her realizing that at eight years old, he can choose an emotion such as hate. There's a lot of talk about like there's a whole car conversation about like, mm. you know, you shouldn't use certain. I right. She the hates the hokey pokey. Right. Mm. But then she says, I hate the hokey. And then she's like, well, that's a perfectly fine emotion. Uh -huh. Hate is a very common emotion or something like that. I hate when you say that. Now that's a beginning. Hate is a totally acceptable word. You just have to be careful when you use it and only use it when you truly detest something. Like what? Well, like the planet Uranus. I hate that. It's a terrible name for a planet. <laughs> Uranus. Yeah. <laughs> and the hokey pokey. The hokey pokey. The hokey pokey. I hate the hokey pokey. Putting your foot in and out at weddings is terrible. Just after that, I was being told things more like, no, you can say that you really strongly dislike something, but never say you hate something, you know? Right. And it was like really suggested not, hate was not the word to use. I was going to say, it's like Jackie in the early half of the film hates Isabel. Well, when Isabel loses Ben yeah. and Jackie shows up at the police station, oh. she's on a mission that it's like, 
not only will you never be around my kids again, I am going to file a court order. Yeah. Mm. Jackie has a vindictive side. Don't take this out on him. It's my fault, just... honey. I'm so sorry. But you're not making this any easier on anybody. It is not my job to make it easier for you. It is my job to take care of those children, and they don't want to be with you. I'm getting a court order, and you are never going to be with these children again alone. Do you understand? Ever. I think the point of that scene was to illustrate how humiliation and like guilt in women in in our ability to care for children is so profound like the idea that we can't do the one thing that like our bodies were mm. built to do like bear mm. these kids protect them Isabel's never encountered that like she's in her 20s she in her 20s or her 30s by the way mm, I think she's supposed to be her 20s probably so it's like this woman, this <laughs> middle-aged woman with kids we're who has this whole life. Yes. <laughs> we're her elders, which is crazy to think that about. That is crazy. That is crazy. Paradigm shift. Who, mm -hmm. and she just, she can do something that Isabel can't do. And mm -hmm. Isabel's trying so hard to be able to be a mother-like figure and just fail so miserably in that moment. And instead of that, like, female camaraderie and, like, it happens, I also lose my right. kids in the superstar. It's like, what a fucking idiot. Right. How could you do this to my kids mm -hmm. and be this careless? And mm -hmm. I was struck in the later scene when Jackie uh, forgets, not forgets, they think that she forgets to pick them up at school, mm. um, but in fact, she's at one of her doctor's appointments. Isabel shows up, no problem, I'll grab them. She says to the kids, no, you know what? It was my oh, mistake. Yeah. yeah. She throws Falls herself on the on, under yes. the bus. How could she... Just forget us, I mean. Yeah, that's something you would do. To tell you the truth? <clears throat> I did. And does it in this beautifully vulnerable, mm. like, I'm just, just a, you know, I'm just, that's, I'm just a fuck up. And then waits for the validation of like, oh, no, that's okay, you're not. And then the kids just get up, see their mom, and They're leave. Going, Mm. Mm. How are you, sweetie? I'm sorry you got stuck. Were you scared? Mm. Yeah. Mm. You must be starving. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? You hungry? Mm. Want a good meal? Yeah. What you doing in your mouth? And there's no actual, like, returning no. act in that way. No. Throughout the film. Because in the one moment where she's finally made headway and she's got these Pearl Jam tickets, yeah. that it's just ripped away. I love that moment too, because I think when I see Susan in that moment, she goes, well, but you know, she kind of has this look on her face that to me says, um, you're not dying. Right. That was a good idea. It's the, that, that, it's the, that's a good idea. Or mm -hmm. what did she say? Thank you. That was a great idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pearl Jam? Yeah. Oh, mom, you are the coolest. <laughs> you only live once, right? Mm. Isn't my mom the coolest? It was a great idea, thanks. Have fun. Jackie is such a... Uh... I was gonna say a fun journey in this film. Fun is not the word, but she has such a, a complex journey in this film because she 
really has to, in addition to embrace Isabel, has to forgive Luke. A lot of the issues that she has with Isabel are really around this idea that she failed the family mm. in some way and that, and she's taking it out on Isabel because she's the closest thing to Luke. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about yeah. Luke for a second. Um, who, Ed Harris. Original daddy. He's got a lot going on. But so, so I want to start with uh, the scene that takes place at, is it, What's the the boat area in Central Park called? With the little the boathouse, yeah, the remote controlled boats yeah. and all the stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that scene is is the first time we really see Luke interacting just with the, the two, two of just you, the three of us. Yeah. yeah, excuse me, with just the two kids, and we learn about these very unique dynamics he has with both. And I think one of the great things yeah. about this film is how much all all four of the the main central family members all have these uniquely carved out dynamics. Um, and so what do you remember about filming with Luke and, and not to get too personal here, but you mentioned the fact that you lost your dad. Mm -hmm. I imagine at eight years old, having this surrogate father enter your life, um, had to be emotionally affecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's moments that I watched today that I'm totally seeing myself looking for a father figure in him, both as film in the film but also just as myself there were feelings that i didn't know how to understand at the time like there's this one scene I'm not, i can't remember what we're talking about but it's not the scene where we find out that um, jackie is sick it's uh earlier than that um maybe it's when we're is it the scene when you when uh you find out that isabel and luke are going to get married i think it's that scene mm. i think it's that scene and I'm seated with Ed or Luke and um, Anna and Jackie are on the other side of the conversation. And there's a two shot with me and Ed and I am holding his hand, but I'm holding specifically, he's just like one finger and I've got my fingers like wrapped inside it. He takes my hand and he like punches me in the face kind mm -hmm. of, and we do this little play thing. And then, and then I put my head on him because I, I was never that violent kind of play thing as a kid so but he kind of brought that in and then I was like yeah but I just really want a hug <laughs> and I think it's in that scene when you ask Luke can you ever fall out of love with your kids yes oh. can you ever fall out of love with your kids no that is impossible like a mission impossible yeah exactly like mission impossible it's an understandable worry an eight-year-old ha would have in seeing their world shift so dramatically. Now, we're talking about that scene, which takes place on the porch uh, of the house. So so let's talk about the house. Um, the house is uh, 501 North Broadway in Nyack, New York. It was built in 1854 and has over wow. 5,000 square feet. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I think my apartment in New York is somewhere in the 200 to 250 square feet, <laughs> just for comparison. Um, Though the entry hall and staircase it, uh, in the film are the real house, as we mentioned before, mm -hmm. sets were modeled on many of the real rooms in the house. So let's just talk for a moment about that set, because when I think of Stepmom, um, I think the first visual for me is that house. What do you remember of filming at that house? The feeling of that time was that perfect. I think the feeling that the, the scene that reminded me the most of that feeling was when Luke is carrying the Christmas tree into the house. Oh. That just felt, it was just that damp leaf sort of 
smell of autumn um transitioning into winter just the, that was the feeling of that house being mm. inside that house being outside that house it was just that you know whether you're outside and it was that damp or it was inside it was the cozy it was just the the you know the sweet and savory of that the way jackie inhales when she smells the christmas tree after he brings yes. it in yeah mm -hmm. it's one of those things again it's like that susan surrounding quality where it's like you can smell the tree yeah mm -hmm. that's like yeah when you're watching the film I remember what she says um he says what are we going to do without you yeah yeah it'll be fine what are we supposed to do without you you'll be fine you're a great father I just never really, I didn't give you the chance to realize it. It's tr this ability to hold it in and just let a bit of it out. So the, the, you'll find a way, it can have so many interpretations. Because then she follows it up with, you're strong, you're great, you're, you're a great dad, and I just never let you, you know, I, yeah. figure that out. I, yeah. Um, Which is in contrast to their scene earlier mm -hmm. when she's still in fight or flight mode right after Jackie had lost you at the Central Park Tower, and she sort of goes for the jugular in that moment. Yeah. Because you know, about... I think she's still holding on tight the idea that she will be able to beat this thing. Yeah. I think she's, you know, she's, because we don't, we don't, we're not introduced to her um, diagnosis until 40 minutes in, but she, throughout the entire opening, has been dealing with a diagnosis that she thought was in the rearview mirror, and she comes in for a checkup, and now it's back. Yeah. So she's she's totally hanging on, like, really gripped tight, and you, you do see this, um, this happen sometimes. I mean, I have a, a close friend who's been battling cancer for over, it's about 20 years now. Um, and he has gone through so many phases of, no, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, 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 I will find the will within me to resist this illness. And then he, and then it ebbs and it becomes sort of a letting go. And no, you know, I, I shouldn't take this out on you. I shouldn't be so controlling. I should, I should let some things go. And so even if the line comes out, like you'll be fine and it, it stings, she can recognize it and is self-reflexive enough to sort of go, well, but, you know, I, it's just, you know, I, I mean that. I really mean that in mm. the best way. Gab, what are your memories of that house? I feel like I see the image and it all starts coming back. I associate the exterior of the house with Isabel rolling up in the Land Rover. Mm -hmm. It's just like truly giving rich mm -hmm. and like very chic. Mm -hmm. And then I, I feel like she wore like exclusively Jill Sander and Prada. I totally agree. In the entire yes, movie. Yes. But there's one moment where she, it's right after she, Anna caught her and Luke in the shower and she comes into the kitchen and she has her like sunglasses on and she's like, here comes the bullshit. Like I know that this woman is gonna be mad at me that I was fucking her husband in the yes. goddamn. Yes. Like, and she has this energy, but the kitchen is like so warm and it's like so inviting. And then there's just like this tension of this argument and it makes me, it's just like the perfect allegory for like, family dynamic uh -huh. like it's just like we all have fights in our kitchens but like hers is perfect a 12 year old girl is trying to cope with the fact that her father is never moving back in here with his family she sees her father naked in the shower with another woman for the first time and you think it would be better for her if everyone just pretends nothing happened i am so 
unbelievably sick of your imperious bullshit. I never said I was June fucking Cleaver. Look, you don't use that kind of and language. If every time in this life hits those... her hard, you want to have some 12 hour conversation every third Tuesday of the month, you go right ahead, lady. I have a life. Oh, and I don't. Because I have children. And that's why Isabel coming in with her, like, 90s style and her sunglasses pisses her off because it's like, you are bringing your, like, cool nonsense into my beautiful, curated, warm, suburban home. Like, not today. We don't do that here. We don't do that. We don't have coffee in this house. house. May I have a cup of coffee, please? We don't have coffee. Amazing. Like, the, thing about, the thing about Jackie is she's a shade queen. Mm-hmm. But everything oh, around her yeah. is like pristine. Yes. She gives like like real cunt, but yes. like in the chicest way yes. possible. I think White Lotus has a lot to thank Stepmom for in sort of the way it balances out its characters because that's a scene where both of them are right from their perspective. From Jackie's perspective, she allowed her kids to see a sex act between their yeah. father and another woman that could be very, very damaging, and it's just, it's chaos for her. From Isabel's perspective, it's not a big deal. This yeah. is life. Yeah, And I totally. don't feel like you watch this film and think, Isabel's cool, Jackie's not. That's not the read. It's sort of like Isabel is a little too freewheeling. Justice for Jackie is what I'm really, Mm -hmm. really getting at here. Now, because we're talking about the house, I think the most memorable thing that takes place in that house, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. enough. Another motif. Now, in a lesser film, you would have two different songs, right? right? Or mm-hmm. perhaps two different versions of the song. Mm-hmm. But what the message is here, what I take away from it is like, these women are more alike yeah. than they think. Mm-hmm. What do you love about the Ain't No Mountain High Enough scene? I mean, I love the kids surprise their mom, like letting loose and like go. It's like that moment when your mom reveals themselves to be like cool. Yeah. And you're just like, you fucking rock. <laughs> Jumping in and you see it on their faces. I feel like you see it on Ben and Anna's face. They're like, what is going on? And then they just throw themselves into the performance of it and like grab the hairbrush. And Ben has some great choreography on the bed. It's really major. We have the dancing scene and they're all singing um, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And then later on we go into those same rooms and it's like filled with these beautiful pictures Mm. of this family and life-size photos. And like Isabel can communicate like, I can be a part of this house. Like Mm. I can be a part of this family and this, the texture of this, these relationships. It's like that that upstairs floor just like means so much. And we actually see it so little in the movie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Also, what is the things that that um, entrench the bed? Not entrench, like the white pieces that get pulled down. Yeah, I guess those would be like, it's like a canopy. Yeah, it's like like, a, yeah. A, a, but I love canopy. that one because we were talking earlier about like the orderliness of yeah. Jackie and her home, yeah. and the idea of like Jackie allowing that to be like yeah. ripped off the bed frame yeah. is yeah. so significant, and it's counter to the Jackie we know. When the the common person revisits that mom, I feel like that is sort of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, did were you aware that you were creating iconography? Mm. No, it was just pure fun. It was supposed to be Midnight Train to Georgia. Wow! Wow! Yeah, different vibe. Very different, different vibe. 
And I remember watching. Yeah, lyrically, it wouldn't really. No. Really vibe. It's too slow. Too yeah. slow. Yeah. It's it's a really sad. Like it's a song about a guy coming back because like it didn't work. His dream never yeah. came true. And... And you need the Marvin Tammy back totally. and forth. And <laughs> yeah, when she keeps calling me Marvin, I keep oh, calling Marvin. her Tammy. Take it oh. away, Marvin. <laughs> so good. Right, Marvin? Yeah, Tammy. Listen, babe. Actually, Susan, she was listening to that song when she was on she was constantly on the treadmill for this movie, losing weight. Just losing weight, just losing weight. Just um and she was on the treadmill and she was listening to that song and she thought, maybe this song. We were so lucky to have time on that film to rehearse and discover things because that was one of those scenes where we're like, okay, no cameras in the room. Let's see, how are we going to do this? Where are you going to be? What can we use? Okay, great. We got a, we have a hairbrush, you know, an, an iron and a, um, a telephone. Those are our mics. Cool. What else? What's in the room? What do we have here? And then just going around the room and then seeing the canopy and someone at some point saying, hmm can we take this off? And like, we kind of pulled it and it kind of popped or, you know, and they were like, hmm, yeah, we'll Velcro this. So then they mm. Velcro it. And that makes it just like, you know, tear off and have fun. Um, and, and so many moments of like, yeah, and then I'll throw you onto the bed mm. and, and then we'll, you'll jump through the bed and then we'll go out into the hallway. And the hall, and it's like, it's, it's explosive. <laughs> like, it's just, cause it, the song, it, it outgrew the room. Yeah. It yeah. needed to go into the hallway. Mm. And and to allow each of us to have our own version of the choreography, because there's there's like this thing that I'm doing when it's like valley low, and I'm kind of going like this, but then Susan's going like this, like valley <laughs> low. So we're all doing a little different thing, and there wasn't anyone on set being like, "Hey, no, 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 that's not the choreography. Uh -huh, you do yeah, this uh -huh. thing." It was just like, "No, that's fun. Let's let that happen." You mentioned how much time you had on this film, and yeah. it's interesting. This is not intended as a name drop, but I recently interviewed Lindsay Lohan, mm. who just wrapped a new Netflix movie that mm. shot for six weeks. And mm -hmm. one thing that she expressed in the interview was how it's her first movie in about a decade mm. and how different it was for her coming into the modern film landscape where a movie shoots in six weeks mm -hmm. in contrast to The Parent Trap, mm -hmm. which I actually think is a film that has a lot in common yes. with Stepmom. Mm. And they filmed around the same time. And she mentioned the fact that that was a Nancy Myers project. Also, we're talking about the great interiors of oh, Stepmom. Yeah, Talk worlds. about the queen yeah. of interiors. She talked about the fact that that film shot for, I believe, six or seven months. Wow. And they went to Napa to film the movie. They went to Los Angeles. They went to London. It was all about you know, building out the world of the film yeah. and how different it is in our modern landscape of Completely. film, which you would know well, you're I just working finished, actor today. Yeah, I just wrapped yesterday on a film uh, that we shot for four weeks, four wow. or five day weeks. Um, and that is, yeah, a full feature that I was working with Alan Cumming, just Pardon? to drop a name mm -hmm, in there. Please. Um, and he plays Dr. Sigmund Freud. Um, and it is a period piece. It's uh, Vienna, nineteen thirteen. I think it's something that is changing about film and television that audiences aren't consciously aware of, but does really change the product mm -hmm. um, in a really significant way. Because I think there's a we're talking about this movie, Stepmom, and I think 
from our perspective as the audience, correct me if you feel differently, there's something about this film very comfortable because it's so lived in mm -hmm. that I think that the films of today are not able to capture that same feeling because the rush of production, yeah. is, it finds its way into the product. Yeah. yeah. There's like layers of the making of this film that create the richness that you experience. Yes. I think you can't, you know, yes. get in a week and a half. Or no. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I've shot a film yeah. in 12 days yeah. and it's not fun. Gab, I want to give you yeah. a line from the film because this mm -hmm. was the line when, so, you know, I've had many iterations of my connection to that mom. I would say like, when I became like in my mid-teens, this was the line that I would quote the most. And I just want to know if it resonates for you, Gab. So I'm just going to read the line. I'm not going to say who's talking. Mm -hmm. I think you'll know. Listen, young lady, let's get one thing straight. Listen, young lady, let's get one thing straight. Hey, don't touch my face. Look, I would really like it if we could get along. I don't have to listen to you. Yes, you do. No, I don't. You're not my mother. Thank, Thank God, God for that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... The thing about that line is it's like, even at my young, young, small, small age, I thought, how annoying must it be to like try everything in your arsenal to get someone who's determined to not like you to like you, and then the one second you slip up, this person is like scarred for life, that, runs yeah. into the room, slams the door, and then you live with the guilt of that. Mm. I was just like, there's no winning for this. I've always been an Isabel sympathizer, empathizer. I, I she's just She's my person in the film. It's just what it is. And yeah, that was a moment, one moment where I was like, honestly, bitch, go off. Like, it sucks because this is a 12-year-old. The other thing is I watched it at 8. So, like, in my mind, Anna was, like, 18. Like, I didn't know right, 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 right. how young she is. Now when I look back on it, it's like, how can you talk to a 12-year-old that way? Oh, like, let it roll off your back. Like, good God, woman. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, I was like, what a brat. You have this, like, really cool, super chic, like, hot stepmom who, mm -hmm. like, wants to be your friend. And you think, mm -hmm. you know. That you don't want to give her the time of day? It brings up an interesting conversation about the uh, concept of anti-fragility, right? Yeah. In children, raising children, and just oh. briefly, like, the idea that, like, there's two different parenting styles. One being that the child is fragile, so you don't want to damage or hurt the child. The other being that the child's anti-fragile. So, you know, like, for example, a mug, you drop a mug, it breaks, that's it, the mug's broken. The child is does not respond like a mug. The, mm. the child will bring itself back together and continue to function and move forward and find, you know. So in that moment, she kind of goes in for the damage. Yeah. Knowing, maybe knowing, maybe not knowing, that it, it will have a recuperative effect mm. on the other side of it. And that maybe sometimes you need to go past the fear of hurting somebody to realize actually you're okay. Okay, thesis. No. Damn. No, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that. Me way. neither. Mm. And I also like too when we have the swoosh moment to have the skill be something so specific because mm. she's a photographer, so she knows about art. Mm. So she has a skill that can benefit Anna. They're they're separated in the room. She overhears something's wrong mm -hmm. and just coming over and it's like this super simple solution. It's so specific. It's chef's kiss. Cool, where'd you learn how to do that? I took an art class when I was at NYU. Why don't you give it a try? 
helps if you make that loud. And you gotta make the sound, you have to right? Make the sound. Which for me always felt like that was improvised, but I don't know. Mm. Like it just does. I'm like, can you write that? I guess you could. Were you guys improvising at all? Yes. Yes. We would find things. So what you're seeing in the moment is not necessarily the first time it's ever happened, but we're finding things in rehearsal through improv mm. that then get brought into the scene. Was this like in a rehearsal room, like a play? No, no. We would do it on, on the, the day, generally. Oh. The time management on a, pro on a production like Stepmom made everything possible. The way that they were able to you know, have rehearsal time and then also light and then get us all in there and do everything. Um, yeah, so so that would happen generally earlier in the day, and then I was eight years old, so I had to do three hours of schooling. Mm. Um, my mom always said, if you if you don't go to college, I'm buying a Porsche. That never was a problem because <laughs> I uh, went to college, as we know. That's how we met. Um, NYU, baby. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty heavy movie. Was there a lot of laughter infused into those rehearsals, or like how... I've always heard that it's on the darkest movies where actors tend to try and bring the lightest energy to mm -hmm. the times where when the camera. Well, Chris definitely did that because Chris had this amazing set environment. Um, Chris Columbus, the director, he would blast. I mean, like full volume. My, my favorite song that year was Smash Mouth, "Walking on the Sun." Um, so I remember him blasting that. We were in Central Park one day. But when we were doing, when we were covering some of the, the heavier scenes, we did try to keep it in a lower kind of state. Just like, you know, like, this is serious. Let's not, let's not joke around all the time. Um, the one time that I remember piercing that was when um, Luke is shouting up to Anna as she runs up the stairs. And she runs up. Oh. She, he gets up and he goes, Anna! Anna! You do not run out on your mother. But in one of the takes, he went, Anna! <laughs> and he stands there and totally sells it, you know, like I'm sure he could have covered it in ADR. <laughs> yeah. But, and he stands there and he's at the bottom of the stairs. And I just looked up and he sounded like a girl. <laughs> and Ed Harris just broke and fell to his knees and laughed. And the set laughed. Um... <laughs> So there were there were moments where yeah we would break it up. Mm. But um. by the way, in the movie there are also moments of hilarity. This is true. It's a comedy. My favorite. Can we talk about my favorite Ben line of all time? Please. Killed her. Killed her. Killed her. Killed her. Killed her. Like an innocent way, because you like like you Ben like likes as well. Absolutely, that's and one of like, the great things about the idea, the contrast between Ben and Anna. Yeah, where it's like Ben from the get go is like cool he's with he's a writer, he's yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's I so also funny. just love again talking about the motifs. Ben the magician, the through oh, line so from good. the beginning, from the first time we meet him. All the way through. Oh my God! The what is it? Is it a dove? The dove. Mm -hmm. I can't. He wanted the dove. Mm -hmm. and the dove and the king. Oh my God! Again. And like the way that he holds it, like so preciously. I know. Yeah. Sorry. So let's talk about another significant scene in the film. When I was getting ready to propose to my boyfriend, I was thinking about what my social media posts would be <gasps> afterwards, and then I was like, Hmm, what are other great uh, proposal scenes that I love? And then, of course, I remembered my favorite of all time, which is the way in which Luke proposes to Isabel. Gab, why do we love that scene? I have no idea. 
why it has stuck with me for 20 plus years now, but it's like, it is the bar of yes. engagement, which yes. is really unfair because you have all the things that you need, especially for like in the social media age, you have family history, mm -hmm. you have ingenuity, you have something tactile, old and inventive. It's just like, it's super precious moment. But then I also remember really trying to understand the mechanics of it as a kid. Yeah, me too. And I'm like, so what? If you've made a knot around the finger, then when you pull the string to take it off, it would tighten around your... Right, it would hurt. So I don't know. So he's also a magician. Yeah. Going back to the Ben theme <laughs> of magic. Totally. I think that scene is also really crucial in establishing their love. Just the idea that they have this real connection, the two of them and this real love, I think is so important in the film and to yeah. Isabel's journey, but also to making Luke not just the guy, not the just guy the guy with husband. the like twenty year old. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think what's so interesting is we were we as millennials were watching this film right at the time when like a lot of my friends' parents were getting divorced. Like it was like a lot of like young kid divorces going on, at least in my world. And the archetype of the like young hot thing that the dad goes and like finds somewhere in a bar and then they're married and it's not a serious thing. I went into the film thinking that that's what Isabel was because that's what I saw around me. But now as a working fashion professional, I'm like to be a successful fashion photographer, she's probably operating at the same kind of like professional and career level as Luke. And it's like, she has her own life. She's good without him. It's not like a gold digging situation. Right. And in that moment and the like sincerity and tenderness of that proposal, it's like, this is a relationship that's like built over time. This is a serious proposal. This is like, my love for you is very real. Oh. And I wanted to do something extraordinarily special to tell you that in this engagement and proposal. Yeah. And it has, it has elements to it that would make it seem like it might not be the best. Like he's talking about his Past relationship, <laughs> right? True. In right. the proposal, he's, he's like, down "It didn't saying. work, I don't but even, I'm yeah, not gonna right. make that mistake." It's like, ooh, I don't even. <laughs> you're like walking so on funny. lava right now. I don't know how you're getting across these it. coals. She's horny for it. Yeah. She loves. <laughs> that is so funny because I'm like so focused on the physical act that I don't right. even think it's I'm like listening the words. to him. Yeah. The first time I got married, we'd been together since college, and marriage just seemed like the next step which is something that happened that is so true he is like kind of doing a lot of red flagging mm -hmm. yes oh boy it's like you know you mentioned the fact like is Isabel in her 20s and her 30s I don't think about the ages mm. in this movie so much in a way that I think a lesser movie would make a larger point to highlight that right um in a way that it's like yes Isabel's clearly younger than Jackie yeah. But, but really she could what, also be 34. 35. Right. And what they lean into is the idea of their polar opposites because of how they operate in the world, not because of their life experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah, in yeah. many ways, it's like Jackie is a stay-at-home mom who gave up her career to raise these kids, whereas you mentioned Isabel is a working woman. And, and it, yeah. just, they have completely different lifestyles entirely. And if you do the food. math, they were together since college, but then wouldn't have had kids until they were in their 30s. Right. We do the math here. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they had time, I guess, to each be on their own career track separately. And um, yeah. And I wonder how much of that was, you know, Su I mean, Susan was an EP on this. For yes. Not for nothing. Oh, is she? Not for nothing. I didn't know that. And Julia, Fab. right? Yeah. yeah. Love yeah. that. Retroactive Academy Awards to them both. Cowards. 
Julia's performance is quite underrated because oh, I totally. feel like people talk about Susan's performance in this quite a bit and and for good reason. Yeah. But Julia's incredible oh in this movie. You were on the receiving end of a rare instance of a Julia Roberts vocal presentation mm. with her cover of Emmylou Harris and Don Williams's If I Needed You. Um, I was thinking about this. We've never gotten a Julia Roberts musical moment mm-hmm. um, before. And I did not respect this one as much as one might. Mm. Um I was lying on that bed and I was, you know, seven years old. If I needed you, Julia's singing the song to me. Would you come to me? Would you come to me? I farted. <laughs> <laughs> and it was totally silent. So I'm like, okay, we, we're good. We're cruising. We're fine here. We're moving along. This never happened. And she stopped singing and looks at me. Did you fart? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And it's this was in the blooper reel. I was gonna say that it this was in the that, blooper yeah. reel. Yeah, this is this is out there somewhere. Um, yeah, and and then I think she, she many multiple times explained to me how vulnerable and how scary it is to sing in front of somebody to sing in front of all these people on set. And I just was like, just made me feel worse and worse. Were you aware of just how big of a star? Julia Roberts was no, but also it didn't. I don't want to sound rude, but it didn't matter. Right, no, I no, was no, eight, rude. seven or eight years old, yeah. and like when I first met her, I was, uh, I there'd been so much hype around meeting her um, that when I you know my mom picked me up, I was like, I don't think she's done much. Mm. Yeah. Like I said that I was like, I don't I don't think I've seen her anything. I don't not know. Really seeing yeah, a I'm star not familiar with the seen anything that she's yeah. done. But Susan, she was adamant that we. Um, go over and spend time with her. So we, my mom and I went to her apartment first um, and hung out with her and her sons who are both about my age. One is a year older, one's a year younger. And both of them are in the film and so is her daughter. Her daughter, um, she's briefly in the film playing soccer, but she also does when when everyone's on stage during the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving play. play, which I think makes this, validates the Thanksgiving theory. Um, mm. She comes out as Amelia Earhart. Yes, 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 of course. A very and memorable then, cameo. Yeah. And Miles is the first boy who comes out as a Native American. Ah. He's the littlest boy he comes out. He's on the right. And then Jack is also in that scene. He gets a, like a, what are, the, what are those? The raccoon. Oh, yeah. Hat. Like the Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Like he gets one of those hat puts on, hats. put on by. And it's a funny moment because when Susan's putting it on, she's like touching his, she's like caressing him. And it's like, why is she caressing this random this boy? Son, yeah. This son, this child yeah. is, you know, not her son. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that scene though because, yeah, that justifies the fact that it could be a Thanksgiving movie. It also could be a Halloween movie because mm-hmm. you have the scene earlier on with the trick or treating, Anna's yeah. Elvis. And that's when Elvis. Anna talks to Jackie about sort of maybe coming around on Isabel. So. Yeah. Halloween, Thanksgiving, perhaps a Christmas film. Um, who's to say? Okay, a couple other things I want to touch on. The John Williams of it all. Mm-hmm. This movie's score. I mean. The cancer music. Yep. Oh my God. When I just need to have something on, it's my go-to. Um, and obviously, John Williams and Christopher Columbus, uh, 
famously have worked together on many, many a film. People might know of one, Harry Potter, for instance. Um, I would say John Williams is as much, I would consider him a co-director of this film so in the well importance put. of the score to Stepmom. Mm -hmm. So well put. Thank you. Because it does just fit underneath everything and support every every emotional moment. Yeah. The midnight horseback riding, seeing the music, it's like, please rip my heart out. And, oh my gosh, I just watched this one today and I texted this to my, my fiance, but um, when, when, you, when you mean something, you say it twice. Never say never. <laughs> well, there's a loophole, you know. You can't say never, never if you mean it enough to say it twice. I'll remember always, always. And, and and it holds on that for quite a bit because I, I filmed the scene today on my on my Dead. descent to Billy. <laughs> Whenever I'm taking clips of Housewives, it's like when you cut out is very crucial yeah. to making the scene. And so I was like, when am I cutting out? Because it really holds on it. That scene, though, to go back to the two of them with the horses and everything. It's funny. Sophia and I were talking. Sophia's never seen Stepmom before. Okay. And we were talking. Jail. Be yeah. Right. And we were talking before <laughs> this, and we were like. She was like, is it a sad, is it a sad movie? And I was like, it is, but like, it's really hopeful. It's mm. not like, yeah, I mean, it's a tear, like you cannot watch the movie and not cry, mm -hmm. but it's ultimately, I said to her, it's like, you you should know going into it. It's like Jackie dies. That's yeah. not a mystery of like, will she die? That's mm -hmm. not the plot yeah. of Stepmom. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is sort of like the triumph of mm -hmm. these two women ultimately becoming like one mm -hmm. in, in some senses. Mm -hmm. um, but like, how do you situate this movie in terms of? And you know, you said earlier that it's a comedy. I don't disagree. I hold, I hold dearest to me the moment of like levity and like this like fam family learning how to operate in this incredibly difficult situation. But I don't know. Maybe I maybe I went too far to say it's a comedy. Those are the moments that I love the most. It's probably like, I don't know. I feel like it's a feel-good film. Is that crazy? No. I have two movies that I once they're over, I start it, and once it's over, I can restart it. Mm. This film and Brokeback Mountain. Mm -hmm. So I feel like maybe it's just a comfortable. It's a comfortable film maybe because it's it life. Like mm -hmm. this yeah. is life, and it's people yeah. getting through. Yeah, There's, it gives and it takes, mm -hmm. and it it just has this dynamic quality. Did just remember. Uh, another cutscene, which um, so the film ends uh, at Christmas, uh -huh. right? Um, and it ends with the photograph of the family. We know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the film was supposed to end with just Jackie in a chair. They shot this. I think it was at the house, and it pulls out, and it's essentially her moment of passing. <gasps> okay. Would you have preferred that ending? As a glutton for grief, I always like, I was like, I need to see how these kids actually respond to her being gone. Like, I know they're prepared now, as prepared as you can be, 
but no one is ever prepared to lose a parent. And I like need to see how Isabel manages it, what the fuck Luke is doing to be there for the kids. Like, and while that's not all encompassed in Jackie passing away, I do think the finality of it would have brought me some closure that I don't think I have with the film. My counter argument would be if we did it that way, we're ending on Jackie and this isn't Jackie's story. This is the story of the family. But I do want to talk, the final scene I want to discuss though is the scene right before that, Mm -hmm. um, which is the dinner scene. (sighs) And actually, it's not a dinner scene. I believe uh, Isabel orders... uh, Are they drinking? Well, Isabel orders a Patron double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jackie's having a water. Would you like a drink? Patron, please, double. But Very. Isabel's doing it like co- another comedic moment of being like, I'm going to need a double. I'm to gonna, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm having dinner with Jackie. Yeah. It's tough. Jackie's tough. Yeah. She's a vindictive, you know, yeah. she can be a lot. As we know, it's this dinner. Um, it's such an incredible, it's a very still scene. And it's the one in which they're both able to sort of like process their fears together. And obviously, we get the iconic line. And my fear is that she'll be thinking I wish my mom was here. And mine is she won't. Again, talking about the equal weight of these two perspectives, Mm. it's an incredible moment. And the reason I wanted to bring that scene up too is, again, talking about Julia Roberts' incredible performance kind of being underrated. I love the term moment-to-moment work, the former NYU director in me. Um, (laughs) And it's just the way Isabel is talking about the wedding day, and there's this glimmer in her eye in imagining the wedding, and then you see like almost like the, the light begin to fade from the wedding as she realizes what that wedding will actually mean. Mm-hmm. And also just the idea of the passage of time. And Jackie's going to leave her daughter never knowing adulthood right, for yeah. her kids. And that's her anger when she throws the laundry basket, when she oh. tosses everything off the the table in the in the hallway. That's that's her that's what the anger is about. And I know, you know, for sure that that's um my my dad experienced all of that as well. And you have the time to know that. Yeah. That's the thing. And when Isabel says, uh, are you dying? And Jackie says, not, not today. Mm-hmm. Are you dying? <sighs> not today. It's yeah. incredible. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is just the goodbyes. You know, we get this scene, it's Christmas morning. Um, we got the dove, yeah. or it's like, you the cloak. know, the mood, mm-hmm. yeah, the cloak. The mood is light. Uh, Isabel and Luke send the two of you upstairs to say your goodbyes. Um, I'm just wondering what that shooting that was like. Yeah, that was the hardest day uh, emotionally because I did know, you know, I did understand what we were doing. I always felt like an adult. Like, I didn't like it when people talked to me like I was a kid. And so in that moment, I did fully understand what was happening, what I was saying, the gravity of it. There are, like, these markers in um, his scenes, you know, these big scenes that, that I've done, um, and that feels like the first one because that's the first one where I had to 
be brave and move through this um, emotion that I was so afraid of. Are you dying? What do you think? Yes. That that moment too is like very tactile in my memory. The feeling of the cape, um, the blocking, you know, where Susan is and my relationship to her, like the whole moment is visceral and it mm -hmm. still feels accessible. Do you feel like Ben would be continuing his dream dates? I hope so. I hope so too. I think so. One of our greatest things we're gonna always have, you know what that is? Our dreams. We can still meet in our dreams. I think that there's two paths for Ben. The he fully embraces that dark smiling side of himself and mm. is like, you know, a little edgy as he gets older and, and maybe 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 needs some therapy, maybe, you know, maybe isn't all that well. Not that anyone doesn't need therapy. But I know that's right. <laughs> but then there's the other side where maybe he does sort of maintain his his um zeal or his you know, his brightness. Thank you both. Anything else you want to add about this uh, important work in the film canon? I mean, honestly, I wasn't aware that Stepmom wasn't in everyone's top 10. Like, I thought it was, like, a very important film for anyone who was born after the year 1990. Um, so, first of all, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Second of all... Run, don't walk. Run, don't walk. I feel like we need a part two because we really need to deep dive into um, Isabel's commitment to bandana culture. Mm -hmm. Very huge. Her eyewear, very huge for me, inspiring. Um, and no, yeah, I mean, give them their Oscars. Well, let me just say, I do have an Isabel fashion post that right. I'm working on right now. As I was rewatching today, I was getting my screenshots together. I also want to go through and like meme the film, but yeah. I was going <laughs> to do that today. But like, so for instance, with like, my White Lotus memes, I watched the episode once to like consume yeah. and then I go back to meme. Mm -hmm. So with Stepmom, I had a similar emotion today where it's like, I can't be in meme mode yeah. because then I'm mm -hmm. sort of like working in like in a more mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. practical, like I, yeah, screen yeah, yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah. But there were, experience. there were yeah. a few stills where I was like, this isn't Isabel. Like the scene when she first walks into Jackie's house with, mm -hmm. the, sunglasses. with the sunglasses. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this is a screenshot. Like, she right has a here. Kangol scene at one point oh where she has like the backwards God. hats, really yes. fab. Mm -hmm. Yes. Them running across, oh my God, we have so much we didn't talk about. Yeah, no, I mean, mm -hmm. running across the soccer field for Ben, like in the moment where like they both fucking love this kid. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in the trailer, I believe they slow mo that scene. Yes. Oh my god! And like, they're kind of like racing. They're like, who's gonna yes. get? Like, <laughs> who loves it more? Yes, exactly. It's yes. really, really good. Yes. Um, but this was such an enjoyable. I don't yeah. get to talk to. First of all, I don't get to talk to stars of the film, mm -hmm. but I just like people who adore it as much as I do. Well, so. it's also fun to just talk about something that's deeply meaningful for an hour and a half. That's really specific. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I feel like so much about our culture today is sort of, and I do this too, like when I'm in the room and I'm doing a shot of Bevan interview where it's like, I've got this celebrity, we need to cycle through we as get. much as possible. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan of a deep dive mm -hmm. in general. It's why I think what brought me to lo my love of, you know, Survivor or Real Housewives mm -hmm. is often like the post-mortem, like the post-game oh, yeah. analysis, mm -hmm. like you and I going oh, back yeah. and forth about what happened on Housewives. Um, yes. mm -hmm. And so often it's like with something like Stepmom that's so important to me, it's like I 
require more postmortems. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can just, you know, log online and find a deep dive on Stepmom, no. but I think it's important. Mm-hmm. And I think this film means a lot to a lot of people. And I think yeah. it, you know, to people that have lost loved ones or people that yeah. have step parents mm-hmm. or step kids, I just think this. There's not another stepmom. Well, actually, there is a remake of stepmom. You know about this? No. There's an Indian remake of the film. Is there? there? Yeah. Yeah. So there is another stepmom. But but in terms of a film like this, that and again, too, not for nothing, right before we end, but like this is a film with two powerful female leads. Um, in 1997, 1998, 98. Yes, it came out in 98. 98. It's just like not for nothing. This is a I don't know. Yeah. I I think this film and they're not like fighting about a man. They're not no. fighting about. They're a man. like you know they're doing things that it's yeah it's dynamic. It's more interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's the non stereotypical roles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also too, just like how much depth the kids of this film have. It's not just yeah. like it's like Ben and Anna are like they're important mm. yeah like we, you know ben and hannah we had um an onset publication that only lasted one issue because i was not pulling my weight um <laughs> as a contributor um uh but it was it was jenna's idea and it was called um the name of the the publication was ben and anna republic oh wow, wow. ben and anna republic that is some good wordplay Bring great, it back. great pun all so, all credit to jenna i mean i feel a revival is imminent. I look forward to doing this again next year. I hope yes. you both are back. And I think we can add a fourth chair next year because I'm hopeful that we could get another cast member. <clears throat> Julia's coming. Julia's coming. <laughs> yeah. From Ticket to Paradise to yeah, yeah, yeah. this fourth chair here. Um, but no, truly, thank you both so much. This is such a thrill. It's a passion project. You, and I just want to encourage anyone listening to check out Stepmom, available on Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, available on Stars. Well, I also, if anyone needs, I have my signed DVD copy from Liam. <gasps> Do you remember this? Oh, wow. So wait, real quick. I didn't tell Liam for the longest time that I knew who he was because I didn't want to be like, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. And fun- I feel like it came out in my first hangout dead. session. I'm dead. <laughs> Here yeah. my memory. That I was feels like, more I right. maybe you waited one. Okay, maybe one. Probably maybe one. one. But like maybe the first time was just like I came by and just left and wasn't there that long. Okay. And then the next time was like you pulled out the volcano. Yeah, yeah. Which you still have. <laughs> I love the yeah. volcano. Anyway, Liam signed my copy of the DVD <laughs> saying, "Who would have thought?" Which I still have to this day. So if people need that, if people need a DVD copy, I'm happy to pass mine around. Um, and also check out the score available on Spotify and all streaming platforms. Shout out to the great John Williams. All right, thank you both so much. This has been a thrill. Thank yeah. you, Evan. Thank you, Evan. Shut Up Evan is produced by me, Evan Ross Katz, with audio editing by Sophia Asmuth and social media by Griffin Dunn. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers for their financial support. And thank you to you all, the listeners, for helping us keep the lights on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.